You don't have time to read the Bible. You don't need anyone in your life. You can do this all on your own. You always have. They don't think that you are good enough. You need to end this friendship. They don't think like you. They think they are so much better than you. Go ahead and say it. It's not gossip if it's true. Well, welcome to the third and final weekend of our new series, The Devil at Your Doorstep. We hope that you have enjoyed learning some of the strategies that Satan has against you and uh, how you can shut him down, right? Well, um, I got a question I want to start with. Anybody here in or from a blended family? Any blended family people? Okay, so you know blended families. Well, um, I just uh, celebrated with my wife, Amy, our 20th anniversary a couple months ago. And so thank you, thank you very much. And um, we did what a lot of couples do when they reach a milestone. We spent some time kind of thinking back to how everything began for us. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I, the, the very first time I saw Amy at church, it was love at first sight for me. <laughs> Just for me. As a matter of fact, it took like six months to wear her down enough that she was willing to go out on a date with me. And sure enough, uh, we were able to. So we had our first date at Dion's. And I remember sitting across from her and she said, hey, I just want to let you know I have a two-year-old named Nikki. And uh, if this ever gets serious, you have to obviously know she's part of the deal. Well, we were both about 30 at the time. And so I thought, well, that's great. I mean, I'm ready to settle down. And the idea of a blended family was awesome to me. So our very next day, Amy invited me to come over to her apartment uh, to have dinner and watch a movie, but most importantly, to meet Nikki. And so obviously I was excited and nervous because I knew this was going to be a very big deal. And it was, uh, but it didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go, unfortunately. The, the very first moment I knocked on her door of her apartment and she opened it, Nikki, who was a two-year-old uh, Shih Tzu began barking uncontrollably at me and continued to bark and growl at me for the next 180 minutes. She hated me for no reason. She hadn't ever met me and she hated me. And pretty soon I grew to hate her just as well. But I didn't tell Amy because I knew that this was kind of a package deal. And I had to accept this little 10-pound demon if I was going to marry Amy. Well, we went on enough dates, and over time, after about a year, uh, we decided to get married. And so there we were, a blended family, uh, two adults, and one demon. And uh, we did our best to make things work. Now, little by little, if I'm honest, I think uh, Nikki kind of warmed up to me some, and I warmed up to her maybe just a little bit more. And we were good. So I thought. And then one particular evening... Uh, we had been married for probably six months, and uh, we were living in our little town home, and uh, I saw Nikki there, and she was just kind of chewing and playing with a little stuffed animal. And so being the affectionate guy I am, I reached down and picked her up to kiss her on the head. Well, she dropped the little stuffed animal out of her mouth, turned her head up to me, and bit full bore into my upper lip, 
splitting the outside of my lip open and leaving this little semicircle of tiny teeth marks on the inside of my lip. Like I dropped her and I had blood going everywhere out of my mouth. It was uh, one of those moments where, you know, I'm just, I can't believe what just happened. Amy loaded me up and she took me to the emergency room. And I love emergency rooms. They said, we're going to give you some shots to numb the stitches. So they gave me a bunch of shots around my lip to numb the pain so that I wouldn't feel the stitches. You just gave me shots. I felt those. But they went ahead and they stitched me up and they sent me home uh, with a bunch of antibiotics. And I was upset the whole way home. But Amy was eerily quiet. You see, I had learned that I was uh, Amy's second love and the dog, Nikki, was her first love. So we got home and I'm still just completely blown away at what happened and how I had gone to show love to this little creature that Satan made and how this dog had, had returned good with evil. And so I had to talk with Amy. You all know the talk, right? I gave her the ultimatum. I said, listen, sweetie, it's either me or that dog, but it's not both of us. Then there was a long pause. And I said, well, and Amy said, I'm thinking... Now, you'll be glad to know I won the first round, and Amy made the sensible decision that uh, she was going to let uh, me take Nikki, her most prized dog, over to her parents and leave her there and come back home. And on the way back, after I dropped off that dog, I felt like a man. It was me versus the dog, and I had won. And so I got home, and Amy was crying. And the next day, she cried. She moped around the house, didn't eat much food. And she was melancholy for about a week. And then I remembered a wise person once said, a happy wife is a happy life. And so I humbled myself and I went and I got the stupid dog and I brought the stupid dog back home. And over time we made up and, and she became my dog as much as she was Amy's dog. But she's, you need to understand something about Nikki. She was always in between us. She always separated us. Anytime I went and sat next to Amy on the sofa, Nikki jumped up and got between us. Anytime I tried to go into the kitchen when Amy was in there, Nikki got between us and she began to growl at us and, and growl at me and, and, and bark at me. And I think this whole thing gave me this picture of what the enemy wants to do in our lives. So I'll be honest, it was a wonderful thing marrying Amy, but that first year was a lot harder than it needed to be because there was a demon dog that was always trying to get between us. And that's such a perfect picture of what I think Satan wants to do in your life. He wants to create separation in your life and separate you from the things and the people that God wants in your life. Now, the very first week of this series, we talked about deception, right? We talked about how Satan wants to come against you and deceive you in your mind to believe uh, things about God that aren't true, to, to doubt his love and doubt his word. But if Satan can't get you that way, oftentimes the next thing he does is he tries to discourage you. He uses the difficulties in your life and health issues and financial issues and things to try to come against your heart and to steal your joy and your peace. But if that doesn't work, we're talking today about a third weapon that he often uses against us, and that weapon is division. Again, Satan wants to divide you and separate you from all the great things that God wants in your life. In fact, I found there are three areas 
where Satan wants you and I to be divided. First of all, he wants us to have divided hearts, divided loyalty to God. Um, if you were with us last week, we talked a little bit about Elijah, right? And we talked about how Elijah and all these false prophets met on this mountain called Mount Carmel. And there was this awesome showdown between this godly prophet and all of these false prophets that were trying to get the Israelites to follow these evil false gods. But what we didn't talk about is why they even got there in the first place. So uh, let me back up for a second and explain that. You see, centuries earlier, uh, you probably remember the story that the Israelites were actually captives in Egypt. And through the leadership of a, of a man named Moses, they left after all these great signs and wonders that God did. They crossed across the wilderness, and then they entered into this place that God called the Promised Land. But there was a problem. The people living in the promised land at the time that the Israelites were coming into the land followed all these terrible gods. Gods that would do things like taking children and putting them in the arms of a metal statue and then setting a fire below them and burning kids alive. Gods that uh, they believed wanted prostitution in front of these shrines, these altars where people would meet to worship their false god. It was a terrible thing. And God had said, listen, when you go into the promised land, you've got to drive out the enemy because they will be a snare to you if you live there and intermarry with these people who follow false gods. But when the Israelites went in, they didn't quite get the job done. And so before long, the Israelites had developed these divided hearts. So they were kind of following God, but they were also kind of following some of the practices of the cultures and the people around them. And this divided heart was ruining them as a nation. So God decided it was time to stop this and to prove once and for all that he is the one true living God. And so he gave a message to Elijah and said, Elijah, I want you to bring everybody up to the top of Mount Carmel, and I want you to give them a message for me. Here's the message 1 Kings 18, 21 says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. You notice there wasn't any both and there. There was an either or from God. Elijah had been, uh, he, he had been able to have a front row seat to the divided heart that the Israelites were developing. And so he looked at them and he said, guys, what's your problem? I mean, you say you love God, but you're hot, then you're cold. You're yes, then you're no. You're in, then you're out. You're up, then you're down. Okay, that's, that's lyrics from a Katy Perry song, but I still think they're true, right? He's saying, listen, you guys are, are you're, you're half-hearted toward God. I mean, you say that you're followers of God. You, you say that you're the children of Israel, but then you, you kind of want your own version of following God so you can do all the other things that you really like. See, they were so divided in their loyalty to God that they were making their own form of religion. I think that's what we do a lot in America today. I think we're living in a time where people want just enough Christianity to save them, but not enough to really change their life or change anybody else's life. And it's kind of like making your own version of a spiritual smoothie. So that's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to have some fun. We're going to make a spiritual smoothie here 
to drive the point home of what a lot of people want when it comes to their religious experience. And so uh, we're going to go through these elements, and we're going to make a delicious smoothie and uh, sip it down in our sagebrush mug, okay? All right. So some of you, of course, know that uh, the Bible, obviously, we all love the Bible. The Bible is powerful, and in fact, we really love the New Testament because there's great stories in there, stories about Jesus and the epistles and the birth of the church, and, and what you may not know is that the Bible in the New Testament was written originally in Greek. So I bought some Greek yogurt, okay? <laughs> we're going to take some Greek yogurt, and we're going to put that in our smoothie because we all love the New Testament, right? We all love those great stories and, and, and the things that God tells us. Those are all really, really good. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead. I think most people are pretty cool with the New Testament. So we're going to put this in here. It smells delicious. Now, I, I'll be honest. I don't have hardly any experience cooking because I can burn water. So um, I'm going to put that back and hopefully this will all be a safe experiment. So we, we love the Bible. So, you know, there's, there's the Greek yogurt there. And that's good for most people. I think most people like coming to church once in a while. I think they like hearing messages to help them grow and, and be strong in their faith, right? So I have some spinach here because when I think spinach, I think Popeye. The older folks in here know what I'm talking about. The younger don't. But Popeye, he loved his spinach and it made him strong. So we're going we're gonna to put just a little bit of spinach in here because it represents growth. And we all want to grow, right? I think most people also, not only do they love the New Testament and the Bible, and they love coming to church and growing, but they also love it when God blesses them, right? The Bible says that the blessings of God are like fruit in our lives. And so I have here some fresh strawberries. We're going to put some strawberries in the blender there. That's a good time right there. And then, of course, a banana. We love it that God has bananas about us, that he loves us like he does. I'm sorry. I, Dad jokes, they come natural to me, okay? So we're going we're gonna to put the banana in there, and I, I'm just about ready to blend this, but how can I forget our favorite thing as Christians? It's heaven. It's places where there's no more crying, and there's no more death, and there's no more calories. I'm getting to the age where that matters to me, and so I just thought, you know, extra creamy whip topping. I know you don't normally put it in a smoothie, but... I think that's a good time right there. So I'm going I'm to put that there, okay? So, again, I don't usually do this, but I'm, I'm going to blend this up, hopefully. Let's see. I'm going to hit the smoothie button. See if we can blend this up. All right. It's looking good. All right. So let's see here. Anybody want a fresh smoothie? Any, any takers here? Yeah, oh, there's a taker right there. Well, wait a second. I would love to give you this, but hold up a minute because this is not really Christianity, right? It's part of Christianity. But you see, the smoothie is missing some things if we really want a Christian smoothie because Christianity is just not, it's not only all the things we love about walking with God, but it's also some difficult things too, right? Because the Bible talks about sacrifice and being persecuted and having to deal with sin. In fact, the Bible says that we should be constantly battling this sin nature that we have, and we should even be grieving over our sin when we blow it. And, and I thought about grieving over sin, and I thought, you know, when I think about grieving and weeping, I think of onions. So we're going to go ahead and put an onion in here. 
all right? Because we, we should be crying and grieving when we blow it. Then I thought, the Bible has so much to say about using our words correctly. Speaking truth and love, encouraging others, not gossiping, not lying, not using our words for terrible things. And so I thought, you know, we, we need an ingredient that represents the tongue. So I, I cooked some cow tongue and uh, sliced it. My wife made me cook it outside. But here it is. We're going to put some cow tongue in here. It's pretty potent stuff. So we're going we're to mix some tongue in there because the power of your tongue, man, it, it's powerful. Now, we're almost done, but there was a, a, another ingredient that I was thinking of that made a lot of sense, and that is sharing our faith. Statistically, supposedly 95% of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, well, they don't, they don't share their faith with anybody. Maybe it's inconvenient or maybe it's a little embarrassing to them. I'm not sure why, but Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, you guys who are fishermen, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. I'm going to teach you how to fish for lost people and bring them in to the family of God. And so I, I, I found some sardines. <laughs> so we're going to take some sardines. I'm going to try not to splash it because it's very juicy. We're going to put some sardines in here, and uh, whoo, those were fresh before coronavirus, I think. Okay, time to blend it all up. See, this is a little more accurate picture of Christianity here. Okay. All right, let's, let's take this here. No way am I going to drink that. You're crazy if you think I am. Do you understand my point? We want the easy stuff in life and, and, and in faith. And there are so many people that have a divided heart toward God because they just want the good stuff in Christianity. But... They don't want the hard stuff. And I'm not making light of Christianity. It's, it's the greatest thing in my life. But I, I think we would all agree that um, we can't just pick and choose what we want to follow and what we don't, what we like and what we don't. Because when we do, we're having divided devotion to God. And true worship isn't divided. In fact, Jesus said these words. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. See, God is saying, you either only worship me or you don't worship me. But half-hearted worship isn't even real worship. Jesus said we're to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, every bit of it. Because he deserves every bit of it. And Satan wants you to have a divided heart. Second thing that Satan wants you to have is divided priorities. Now, Todd has mentioned this before, but I, I think it's worth repeating that if Satan can't make you bad, he'll try to make you busy. That's really good. He'll try to make you the person who's running here and running there, and you got your kids in every sport, and you're always around, and you just really don't have time as a family for spiritual things. Have you ever met anybody like that? Or, or maybe you are that person where you just, you're so busy that you're Walk with Jesus sometimes goes on the back burner a little bit. It's interesting to note that there were mobs of people who followed Jesus 
for a short period of time. See, they really liked Jesus, but when it came to actually being a disciple, they weren't there yet. And in fact, there was this one man who came to Jesus, and he said this. He said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm the man. I'm your man. See, Jesus knew his heart, though. And Jesus responded with a very interesting response to this man. He said this. He said, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Well, that's an interesting answer, isn't it? But I think Jesus knew something we don't know. Jesus knew that this guy thought, Jesus is so popular, I'm just going to follow him around, and it's going to be like following a rock star. I mean, it's going to be lifestyles of the rich and the famous. Jesus was trying to tell him, listen, you need to understand, if you really want to be my disciple, if you really want to follow me, then you're going to have to learn how to humble yourself, how to suffer, how to experience persecution. And by the way, I'm homeless. Jesus never owned a home. (laughs) He was an itinerant missionary. So he blew this guy's expectations away. But then there was another man who came along, and, and his problem wasn't expectations. It was something different. Notice what he said to Jesus. He said, I want to follow you. He said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. Now, you and I are listening to that thinking, well, that sounds fair, right? This guy, his, his dad just died. He's, he's going to go have the funeral, and then he's going to follow Jesus. We get that. Most scholars that I've read don't believe that was the situation for this man. They believe that this man was kind of in a stage in life when his parents were starting to get older, their health was maybe declining, and, and what he was saying is, Jesus, listen, my parents are getting older, and, you know, we have the family farm, and I, I just need to get through this season of life, and, and once this season of life, this chapter of life is done, then I will follow you. And Jesus told him, listen, friend, you got to let the dead bury the dead. you got to follow me. This man was, his problem was procrastination, right? His priorities were out of whack. I think of all the times when God has asked me to do something and I've put it off. Maybe it was to have a decision or ask somebody for forgiveness or deal with a sin area in my life. And I told myself I wasn't telling God no. I was just telling God, you know, not not right now. I promise I'll get to it later. And I found that later doesn't always come, does it? See, Satan wants you to have divided priorities because if he, can, if he can't make you bad, he wants to make you busy. And yet, Scripture gives us a clear plan of how we should use our time, and it starts with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Think of those two words. Seek first, not when it's convenient, not when you feel like it, not when it's a good season of life. Seek God first, and everything else will be added to you. See, Scripture gives us a list of priorities that we should have, and we just mentioned the first one, right? Our our relationship with God should be priority number one for us. So much so that there's not even a close second to him. We should love him and him foremost, and he should be the center of our time, of our priorities, of our attention. And then once God is at the center of who we are and what we do, then 
The Bible says that if you're married, your spouse should be your second priority. So before giving our best to our job or our friends or our hobbies or any of those other things, our spouse should get our very best affection and attention after God gets it. And I've met so many couples that they're roommates, but they're certainly not soulmates, and they, they don't love each other in that kind of way. And yet the Bible says that when we're married, we're supposed to be one flesh. That literally before we're married, we're kind of like one half. And those two halves come together, and God wants us to have oneness. Where we're one together physically and spiritually and emotionally. And so many couples, they, they have their priorities out of whack. And the kids come first, or the job comes first, or something else comes first. So how do we do that? Well, we won't go through it tonight, but Ephesians chapter 5 gives us a great template of how to really love our spouse and put them second in our life. And it really involves husbands loving your wives and serving them, and wives honoring your husbands and respecting them. And when you do that, when you try to outserve your spouse and you have God at the center of it, it creates this cord of three strands, as the Bible calls it, that's hard to break apart. Once you have God, once you have your spouse in a healthy place, then you're ready for priority number three, and that's our kids. I'm very grateful to have two sons. I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old, and I'll be honest with you. There are times when I look at what is happening right now in the country, and I panic a little bit. I believe in God, I trust God, but I have never seen a time in our nation's history when right is wrong, good is bad, up is down. The things that people want to do to your kids and with your kids without even your permission, I never would have imagined it could happen, friend. And yet it's happening right before us. James Dobson, not too long ago, made this comment. He said that America is in a moral freefall. I thought that was a powerful statement. He said, we're, we're in this moral freefall and, and we're just spiraling down and we haven't even hit rock bottom yet. And I'm going to tell you, parent, if you don't invest some time to model your faith, uh, to talk about God, to have spiritual moments with your kids, and to talk about hard subjects that they need to understand, you're going to set your kid up for failure. Because the messages and the entertainment and the content they're getting that is anti-Christ, anti-God, happens 24-7. But I think the opposite's true. I think if you'll make them a value and a priority in your schedule, if you'll have time as a family to pray and to read the Bible, here's what I believe. I believe that one day you'll be able to claim the promise of Proverbs 22.6. Here's what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. I pray that for your kids. I pray that for mine. And parents, I want you to know you're not alone. I've had the privilege of working for over a decade now with our family ministries, and I've been able to work with our Kids Planet ministry as well as our student ministry called Remix, and we have age-appropriate material for kids. We have lessons that you can continue all week long. As a matter of fact, I want to show you how easy this is, okay? I've got a couple screenshots here that will show you, but you can actually take your phone after the weekend, and you can click on the button that says resources. You tap on that tab, and it's going to open up a list 
of different resources you can use from small groups to kids' ministry to remix student ministry. You tap on that, and you can find out what your child or your student studied this weekend. You can learn what their scripture memory verse is. There are devotionals that you can do during the week with your kid. You know what it is? It's a chance for you to take what happened on the weekend and continue it all week long. We don't have a ton of parents that use this. But I I wish they would. Because this is a chance for you to use an easy tool to keep the conversation going day after day after day. You have to develop. You have to invest in your kids. And once you have, uh, once you've made God priority one, your spouse priority two, and your kids priority three, then your work, your hobbies, all the other things fall into place nicely. But friends, make no mistake, Satan does not want you to have your right priorities in order. Because if you don't, well, you're not going to affect the kingdom of God like God wants you to. Well, let me give you the third thing that Satan wants for you. He wants you to have divided relationships with others. This is really two different things that you need to have, okay? And, And let me be honest with you. If you are friends with family members or neighbors or acquaintances and And, you know, they don't really encourage you spiritually or they don't want to hear what you have to say about God. Those are the kind of relationships that Satan loves. Here's why. Those relationships aren't going to do anything. They're not going to help you grow. They're not going to help other people come to faith. He's perfectly fine with those relationships. But let me tell you what. You start getting into relationships in a small group, for example, where you're doing life with other Christians, you're praying together, you're reading the Bible together, you're holding each other accountable to be um, godly and to be doers of what you're learning on the weekend. You start having those kind of relationships, you're making Satan upset because he's seeing that those relationships are actually transforming your life. So many of us aren't in a sagebrush small group or in any kind of Bible study community, and I I think that's a shame. It makes me think of the words that uh, the writer of Hebrews said. He said, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You and I need to be in a community where we can be challenged and challenge others, where we can Encourage each other, pray for each other, study God's word together with others. That's so incredible and so critical for us if we want to be healthy Christians. So that's one relationship that Satan wants you divided from. But there's another one he wants you divided from as well. That's your relationship with lost people far from God. And and here's what I've learned about us as Christians. For some reason, it seems like the more serious we take our walk with God, the more distant we keep ourselves from lost people. Have you noticed that in your life? I noticed it in mine. See, I, I, I had a best friend in high school named Chad. Chad and I were buds, man. We uh, went everywhere together, and we, we just made lots of good memories, and neither of us were Christians at the time, but we were pretty good, all things considered, and didn't get into too much trouble, not too much. Well, the day came when I became a Christian in my early 20s, and I began to grow, and I began to learn about God, and I I had some terrible friends previously that I knew I needed to kind of pull away from. But the more that I met Christian friends, the more I got away from 
my non-Christian friends. And Chad was one of those friends. Now, Chad wasn't a bad guy. He didn't tempt me to do bad things. But friends, I got to this place where I thought I should only hang out with Christians. I should only hang out with people who are going to build me up. And so little by little, I edged my friend Chad out of my life and not realizing it, I became a jerk. I became a legalist where I thought I was more spiritual and I didn't bother myself around messy, lost people who were sinful. Then the day came when my friend Chad sent me a message And he said, listen, you and I have known each other for a very long time, but I'm just telling you, I I think you've become a jerk. I mean, you you tell me you're this Christian and you're this guy who loves God, and yet I I don't see it because you don't love me. So I don't want to be your friend anymore. I was so offended by what he said that I wasn't ready to hear it. And so I was like, fine, I've been a great friend. You don't want to be my friend? Don't be my friend. Five years went by. And we didn't say a word to each other. Then I came right here in 2018. I was sitting right back by the center camera on the back row. And it was a Good Friday Easter message that I was listening to. And Todd was teaching. And he was, he was talking about being right with people around you. He was talking about having relationships of influence. And he was talking about how salt should not stay in a salt shaker. See, the Bible calls us the salt of the earth, and salt is supposed to be a preservative to a rotting, dying culture. And what Todd was saying was, listen, we got to get out of our holy huddle where it's us four and no more, and we've got to get out there and we've got to love lost people because who's going to tell them about Jesus if we don't? And I remember sitting there and and the Holy Spirit just convicted me and, and said, you blew it. How much longer are you going to act this way with people in your life that are far from me? And in that moment, right there in the middle, before the service was done, I sent a message through Facebook Messenger to my friend, Chad. I'll never forget the date, March 30th, 2018. I know it because I saved a screenshot, and it's right here. Here's what I told him. I said, Chad, it's been five years since we spoke last, and I've thought about you often, but figured you'd never want to talk to me again. I've had a lot of time to think about my life and my friends, and I've come to the conclusion that you're right. I'm a terrible friend. I wasn't a great friend when you lived in Albuquerque and was even worse after you moved. I've been selfish, and I didn't make much effort to stay connected even when you tried to. If you're still reading this, I just want to say that I'm very sorry. You were always the best friend I could have asked for, and I took that for granted. I don't want to make any excuses or blame anyone else. I failed, and I'm sorry. Even if you never speak to me again, I hope you can find a place in your heart someday to forgive me. I have so many great memories of you and me and Diana, too. That's his wife. And for those, I will always be grateful, Chris. Prayed a little prayer and hit send and sent that to my friend Chad. Five years with silence. A couple minutes went by. I got a reply for him. And he said, I forgive you. I made mistakes. I hope you'll forgive me. And I said, absolutely, Chad. I said, I'm so sorry, and I hope I can rebuild what I broke over so many years of being a jerk. And little by little, I gained influence again to have a friendship with him, 
we visited him in Phoenix and his family. He was just in town a couple of months ago, and he had dinner over at the house with Amy and I, and we had the chance to talk about God, to share the great things that God's doing in our life, and to talk about the difficulties we've been through and how God's pulled through for us every time, and we let them know that we're praying for them, and, and we have influence with them. Because listen, I don't think they have any other Christians in their life. And because I humbled myself, because I realized my mistake, I took what Satan wanted divided and I built a bridge again so that I could have a chance to share the love of Christ with two great people that I wouldn't have if I'd have kept being the way that I was. Friends, Satan wants to deceive you. Satan wants to discourage you. Satan wants to, well, he wants to divide you. Don't let him do it. I hope this series is something that you take, take to heart, that you think about it, and maybe even as you're listening to this talk, you think about one area of your life that you can change so that you can grow and be the person that God wants you to be. Let's do a great job of loving others well, and let's not let Satan get in between us and the things that God wants in our lives, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit and how he convicts us when we blow it. I'm so grateful that he convicted me that I was being a jerk. I thought I was just kind of protecting myself from being around lost people, but that was a lie. I was missing the chance to make a difference in the lives of the people around me who are so far from you. And if we don't tell them, nobody's going to tell them. It's our mission. Father, I pray for my friends, and I, I pray that for those here, for those watching, Lord, that they would not allow a divided heart, a half-heartedness to grow any longer towards you. I pray that they would not allow divided priorities to keep them from keeping you and then their spouse and then their kids in the right priorities. And I pray that they would not allow you to divide them from any great healthy relationships that could help them grow or help them share Christ with others. Would you give them the courage just as you gave me the courage to take a step of faith right now, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.